Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me. I help you keep more of what you make. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Radius moment, I have the complete opposite. I've got something that's the equivalent of taking a pile of $20 bills and throwing them out your car window as you drive down the road. Wait till you hear what I've got to tell you. In a half hour from now, I have new information for you on new rules and qualifying for a mortgage that may improve your chances as a first-time home buyer to be able to get in that home. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. I'm going to tell you what's been going on with me medically right now, and there's a fair amount to share. Uh, if you're not aware, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer eight plus years ago. I'm in my ninth year after being diagnosed. And over these years, I have never had any treatment at all. Before you question my wisdom, I have very early stage minor prostate cancer, and I qualified almost nine years ago for what was then called a watchful waiting program now called active surveillance, where I have tests every so often to make sure that my cancer is still non-threatening and significant. If it ever becomes such, then I'll have necessary treatment. But in the meantime, as an active surveillance patient, all I do is I have a biopsy every so often. Now I'm at a point where I have them... uh, Every two years, I'm about to go to every three, I think. And over the years, I've had a number of these biopsies when I was first diagnosed and initially went into the active surveillance program. I had a follow-up biopsy each six months for the first two years. And then since then, more and more spaced out, and my cancer has never shown any significance, any growth. I was recently at UCLA Medical Center where I'm taken care of for this. And I had a what is a cross between an experimental and clinical, it's not yet mainstream practice, um, MRI that is a lengthy MRI, about 75 minutes long, with and without contrast. And after that, it The MRI found no meaningful cancer in my body, just trace amounts. And then three days later, I had a biopsy. The biopsy found no cancer in 11 samples, a minor amount in the 12th sample. So I'm just steady as you go. And this is something that confuses the daylights out of people. But there are certain cancers, a small number, in addition to prostate cancer, that people can have an amount of cancer 
that is insignificant and not life-threatening. And in many of those cases, it will never become significant or life-threatening. And I'm one of those people who has that with prostate cancer. When I first, nearly nine years ago, had made the decision to go into the active surveillance, it was a very rare thing to do. Today, of men who are diagnosed with early-stage prostate cancer, like mine, roughly half now do what I'm doing. That's amazing change in medicine in a less than 10-year period that virtually no one was doing it then to now half of people that fit my profile doing it now. If you were diagnosed or if a man in your family or you love or care about is diagnosed, there's an immediate fear that you're going to die from what you're diagnosed with. And prostate cancer has many different genetic makeups, and it could be a very serious case. In fact, in layman's terms, because there are roughly two dozen genetic forms of prostate cancer, someone can be a turtle, a rabbit, or an eagle. A turtle is what I am. Extreme, slow-growing, insignificant cancer. A rabbit is someone whose cancer has been detected early, but not dealt with immediately. It could spread rapidly and be life-threatening. And then an eagle is someone who's discovered a bit late and could be in serious danger for their lives, and it's all hands on deck for treatment. And it's such an odd concept to people because the word cancer immediately means to so many people diagnosis equals fight for life. But that's not necessarily true. And I am, I am someone who advocates for myself, not foolishly, not recklessly, but I studied medical journals extensively when I was diagnosed, consulted a number of urologists and oncologists, And what seemed like a way-out-there risky decision almost nine years ago turned out now today to be mainstream thinking. So, is for what other cancers fit that kind of potential of having different grades of seriousness and levels of treatment that might be necessary? The other two that that somewhat dovetail with the prostate cancer are thyroid cancer and breast cancer. And all too often, these three cancers are way over-treated. Never ignore a cancer, but become informed, not by crazy websites with miracle cures, but I've found that reading medical journals where you've got to look up what some of the jargon means and learn what's going on and research and what things people are finding out about what ails you is so important in addition to seeing more than one doctor for more than one opinion 
if there's gray about what you should do with whatever you've been diagnosed with. The great news is that the death rate in the United States from prostate cancer is down 52% in a generation. That's unbelievable. And it's because of the brilliant work of people in medicine and science coming up with new ways to treat. And there are many cancers that are also benefiting from the tremendous level of research going on. And something that may have been looked at at one time as a death sentence for so many diseases and so many cancers becomes instead a disease to be managed. Oh, by the way, if you want more information, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer or you know someone who is, Prostate Cancer Foundation, PCF.org, PCF.org, it's the main research body for prostate cancer. When I was doing all my research years ago, I kept coming back to them for information, to their website, and I was so impressed with what they're doing, I'm now on the board of the Prostate Cancer Foundation in Santa Monica, California. Follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. Tammy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Tammy, how are you doing? Good. Tammy, you have a question for me about your auto insurance. I do. We are switching auto insurance companies, and I've been shopping around by price for insurance, and I there's one company that didn't receive the best rating from you <laughs> a few years ago, so I'm wondering, is it better to shop by price or by the rating of the insurance company? You know, I give it like, if you were to think of it like how you weigh the factors, mm-hmm. I would say that I give twice the importance to the quality of the insurer compared to what I'd give to the price for the insurance. And okay. remember, that said by the cheapest guy you probably know, because I am cheap. <laughs> but- well, and our problem is, is I've unfortunately had a couple accidents the last couple years, and uh, we had some horrible, horrible experiences with the insurance companies that we did have with getting payoffs and other things, and they were supposedly great companies. So that's why I'm just... I just think, well, even the great companies we had a horrible experience with. and So, well, let's talk about that because the two great companies for auto insurance are Amica Mutual and USAA. Were either of them involved in your prior accidents where you got the crummy service? No. All right. Well, that's something I wanted to mention because the companies that people know the most about are the ones that advertise the most. Advertising's effective. People assume that familiarity with a brand makes it good, but in auto insurance, pretty much the more familiar you are with the name, the more they stink as an insurer. Okay. And it is shocking. If you look at the Consumer Reports list of auto insurers, who does just absolutely a rotten, horrible job? And with auto insurance, what matters is when the chips are down, like you said, when you have an accident, that you get good service. Now, any of those accidents you mentioned, were they at fault? Were they your, you know what I mean by at fault? Were you the one yeah. cited? Actually, the first one was considered an act of nature, and the second one, I was not at fault. Wow. 
So you, I, you don't have anything on your insurance record that's keeping you from shopping around? Not well, but they said it still counts. And one of them was a recent accident, and it hasn't closed yet. The case, they, they haven't finished settling, I guess. And so um, we did hear from a couple insurance companies that we were um, shopping with that until that is cleared up. They don't um, want you. No. <laughs> well, the people you have a quote from that are extra cheap, apparently, or cheaper than what you found elsewhere, they yeah. have not historically written enough auto insurance to even be rated by Consumer Reports. Okay. So I don't have, because they, they're a big insurance company, but auto insurance is kind of a newer area for them. So I don't have anything to base it on in terms of how good or bad they're going to be and not and I've not received enough calls from people about them to have a feel for whether or not they're going to be a good or bad insurer. Well, and I checked with our state um, to see because our state has a, a website where you can go and see the complaints that have been issued by insurance company and the percentage compared to other insurance companies. And they were, I don't know, they were about average with so a lot of the middle other of the road, not outstanding. Yeah, but I mean, I know that we probably would, well, I'm not military. <laughs> so you can't do USAA, but why no. don't you call Amica Mutual and see if they're interested in you in spite of the act of nature and the accident that was not your fault? Well, yeah, but my husband has a speeding ticket. Ah, oh. so see, and, and as I say about Amica, they're only interested in dull people with dull lives, meaning yep. you drive dull cars and you don't drive too fast and all that. So Exactly, and his was, they considered it a minor speeding infraction is what was on the ticket. But yeah, it's been enough that it's kind of raised our rates just a little. My accidents haven't as much, but... So the big thing that. for you, you've got to go with whoever you can get the best deal now and get your husband to slow down for the next three years. Exactly. <laughs> get that off your record, and then maybe you can get with one of the top flight insurance companies. And, and really, head and shoulders, truly, above the rest, Amica Mutual, A-M-I-C-A Mutual. And for military personnel and their dependents, USAA. I've been a USAA insured since the 70s. They're a great company. Now, meeting the dull people, dull lives criteria, Krista of our crew is with Amica Mutual. Are you? Would you describe yourself as dull? No way. I wouldn't at all. Just minutes ago, I told you that today's Clark Rageous moment was the equivalent of taking a stack of $20 bills and throwing them out the window as you drive down the road. Wait till you hear what people are willing to pay big money for in today's Clark Rage. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So there's a new thing called the private suite that is opened at LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. And I imagine with the tremendous success it's happening, having, it'll open at other airports as well. The private suite is $7,500 a year. And according to the LA Times, already 1,200 people have paid that money. And what do you get out of it? You don't have to stand in security lines. And you have a private lounge. And you're driven across the tarmac in a car directly to your airplane. And when your plane lands, you go down those stairs where they go take car seats and stuff to load in the belly of the plane. You go down that, get in the private car, and it takes you back to the private suite. 
and then you leave the airport. $7,500. I just want you to think, what could you do with $7,500? The funny thing is, when the reporter for the LA Times interviewed people who'd paid the money, they were like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. I don't I actually don't even know what I paid for it. It's great. <laughs> it's like, man. And the reason it's Clark Rages to me is it says how annoying people find the process of travel right now that people who have more money than they know what to do with would pay $7,500 a year just to not have to stand in a TSA line or sit at a regular gate with the rest of us. And that is Clark Rages. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is the website. ClarkDeals.com, our deal site. Check them both out. I got some news for you. There are new rules in effect for first-time homebuyers that are recognizing the enormous burden that people face from student loan debts. So under the new rules that apply to all Fannie Mae loans, which is the main underwriter of mortgages behind the scenes, you are no longer going to be judged on your student loans based on the balance you owe because that balance has disqualified a huge swath of people in their 20s and 30s from being able to qualify for a mortgage. We have the the lowest uptake on first-time home buyers in memory, probably since those kind of stats have been kept. And the student loan debt is a huge piece of the puzzle. So what Fannie Mae has done is they've said, instead of considering what your total balance is, we're going to look at what your monthly payment is. Because so many student loan borrowers only borrowed under the federal student loan program and are eligible under pay-as-you-earn to pay based on a strict ratio of your income. 
So as your income rises, the amount you have to pay on your student loans rises. As your income declines, the amount you have to pay on your student loans declines. So Fannie Mae has looked at this and they said, okay, we don't have to worry about somebody getting in over their head with the mortgage because we can quantify the risk from the student loans, not based on the balance, but on the required payment. And so that way, someone who may be looking at another five to ten years to you'd be able to qualify for a mortgage, you short-circuit that, and you may be able to income qualify right now. So there are millions of student loan borrowers that will be able to benefit from this There are also special provisions for cash-out refis when the money is used to extinguish student loan debt. So what's going on now is for anybody involved in the housing industry, the, the nearly 10 million people with overhang of student loan debt are fouling up the home sales industry, the for the real estate agents, for the builders, for the banks, for everybody involved in the process. And what's weird is how many things now come back to the student loan thing. And what I want you to think about, if you are someone headed towards college listening to me, or you're a parent with kids looking at college in the next few years, Please, tightly control the cost of that college. Even if it means your kid goes to his or her third, fourth, or fifth choice college. If it means greatly reducing the amount of money borrowed, do it because the overhang I hear from people and the burden that I hear from people about their student loan debts is, this is terrible grammar, it's bad ugly. No other expression for it that works on family radio. Michelle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I'm great. How about you? Great. Thank you. How can I serve you, Michelle? Well, um, last Friday I got a phone call from you know, like a sales call or whatever. And so I went, followed through, listened to it, and it was about student loan forgiveness. And so I listened to the gentleman, and it sounded great. He kept saying about the law, about Obama's law, passed about the student loan forgiveness. I have a 21-year-old in college, so I have a parent plus loan, plus he has a student loan. So I went online. The business was accredited with the Better Business Bureau. Then he had actually had access to my son's FAFSA, which I thought, you know, well, that must be pretty legit because how would you do that? So bottom line is, and, you know, went through, it sounded great. And I'm very apprehensive about ever doing anything. We don't ever do anything online, or, you know, stuff like that. So he said it was going to be, so my loan is 20 or 17000 but I guess with interest it'll be twenty six after it's all paid off the parent plus. So he said with my credit score and I'm a teacher, then I qualified to have the loan drop to 4500 Sounded great. He said there'd be four payments of $249. Do you hear that? Yeah. 
hear those bombs bursting in air? <laughs> that's scary. I know. Well, so he said four payments, four easy payments of $249 each. First. But, yeah, for them to set up your loan forgiveness. Right. But 100%, 100% a scam. Okay. Why can they do that? Well, there's nothing that prevents anybody from running any kind of con or scam. Did he get any money from you or any key? No. Okay. Mm-mm. All right. I did put it in my credit card, but I have USAA. And I, so he said 4500 and then for 120 months, it's $30. So I said, okay, well, that equals 4500 I asked him at the end of the phone call, was this, this is going to go towards the loan, correct? That's when he started going, well, and I was like, okay. And then I called USAA, canceled my credit card. I called them back, and no one answered. And so then I went online, and I just left a message saying that I was going to report them and that unless I can get in writing that you are paying off my loan and I was going to call the loan company. No, the whole thing's bogus, okay? No, okay. All right, so (laughs) whatever he was telling you about Obama this or that or the other, forget all that, okay? Um, So... What does exist okay. is when your son graduates, mm-hmm. that's when he may be eligible for loan forgiveness on the loans that he is responsible for. Okay. I am not aware of any loan forgiveness program for Parent Plus. Oh, great. <laughs> but okay. even the loan forgiveness for him is pretty complicated. It requires okay. that he go into, that he be current on his loans. Mm-hmm. go into a job or profession that is qualified as a public service job, mm-hmm. and then after 10 years of on-time payments, whatever okay. remaining balance there is is forgiven. That's what I read, and that's I had asked the gentleman on the line, you know. He wasn't a gentleman. He was a thief. You know, he was very, very smart. Like I said, I've never in all my life have I ever... This is the first time I've been suckered. But wait, wait, but you didn't, enough. you ended up okay because yes. they didn't get any money. No. And by the way, what, thank you for your service to our country. What branch are you serving in or did serve oh, well, in? I'm a teacher. But so you said means- USAA. Oh, my father was in Vietnam. Well, I appreciate his service for our country. Thanks. I do too. Yeah. So the USAA was wonderful and they were great. We just canceled the number and everything. Wow. Yeah, USAA is great and what your dad did for our country, great too. And I'm so glad that you didn't get hurt by this scam. Lisa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. I'd like to start a home help service for seniors um, in the Portland, Oregon area. I'm trying to help seniors stay at home for longer so they aren't having to go into nursing homes or assisted living. Most you know what's time, crazy? Healthy, you, you know, know? what's crazy? Um, you're a genius. Well, I, I'll tell you why you're a genius. We used to look at, as someone aged, that they were either home or they were mm-hmm. in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. There was like a light switch. You were one or the mm-hmm. other. And now one of the biggest trends is exactly what you want to do as a business mm-hmm. is allowing people to age in place, not in an institutional setting, but in the home that they've loved and known, mm-hmm. and that there's big opportunity for people to provide care in a home so that someone can stay there instead of having to go into any kind of institutional setting. So you are in the catbird seat 
with an aging population and what you want to do for a living. Yeah, that's right. And I have the background of being a nurse, so um, I have that behind me, but I look to hire people who are able to kind of help me with this type of business. So what I was calling for was I'm in the research part of building the business, and I wanted to find out if you had any recommendations as far as how you set up the accounting aspect of a business and if you recommend any banks or, you know, small business banks at all, checking accounts, how I would manage that side of things. Well, I would say that as someone starting this business, you want to find a small, local, one or two office community bank. That they are, the way they make their living, the way they succeed is by helping you starting up this business, get all your banking in place and then grow with you. Mm, And they hope that eventually you'll need expansion capital and when you're on your feet that you are coming to them wanting to borrow money from them. Right, right. So the thing is, never, ever think about going to any large bank. They They have no capability of dealing with you with a startup business. Okay, okay. Because I was researching the other day and some of the top banks were actually listed as the top banks for working with small businesses, and I wasn't sure. I wonder who pays for those lists or studies, because it's just (laughs) not true. Who is behind that? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so not true. You know, going to, you got four giant banks in the country, and they're hopeless dealing with the small business. Okay. And then then they're, I mean, you're talking, the four bigs are are Chase, Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of America, and Citibank. And I would just, they're half of banking in the country, and Mm -hmm. they just need to be lopped off as far as even remotely considering going to to, to start an account and a business relationship for your banking. And then there are a number of regional banks, and even they are so big today that I think that's too big for you starting out. And mm. and an irony is, in addition to going finding one of those small local community banks, mm. there also are a number of credit unions that do have the capability of providing accounts to small businesses. Okay, that's what I was wondering, too, because I know you're in favor of credit unions, and I didn't know if that was something that, you know, there were certain ones that would help small businesses. Generally, though, you're going to find more help for a small business at a small local bank. Okay. okay. The kind that used to be common and were all over the place, now mm-hmm. they're much less frequent, but they're there. Okay. So, and in Portland, I'm sure there's several. Yeah, there are. So, I, I think you go, what you do is you make an appointment to talk with the president of two or three of these small local banks. And you go oh, sit okay. down with the president of that bank. The president? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you you, you want to see, do they are they really talking the talk? Are they walking the walk about wanting to be there for formations of small businesses and encouraging your business, helping your business along the way? What is it they have to offer your business? Remember, you're interviewing them. They're not interviewing you. And if you try to set up an appointment with the president of a small bank, and he or she doesn't have the time of day for you, 
you know they're off your list and you go to another one. I want to wish you the best because, Lisa, you're all over the right kind of marketplace and the need for it is going to be gigantic with an aging population. Chad's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Chad, you got a question that is one of those things that makes my blood pressure rise. Did you know that? I had a feeling. What's going on? In the process of selling a house, take a look at the uh, closing documents and noticed an association transfer fee that showed up at the bottom. Yeah, this is, this is like a plague spreading across America. And the most common fee is right at about $1,000 for a transfer. Is yours a grand? No, we're getting off lucky. It's only uh, $75. Only. It's still trash. I mean, it's yeah. still you're still paying money you shouldn't be paying. But that makes me breathe a sigh of relief because 75 is not bad. Let me tell you the most disgusting thing that's been going on around the country to let you know how lucky it is you're getting ripped off at a discount. Ready? Yeah. Developers, there are certain states now that allow developers to embed all the costs that they have for when they first develop a neighborhood, for putting in the roads and the sewers if they're sewers and the lights and sidewalks and all that, that they can embed a fee that goes on in perpetuity, in other words, forever. And every time any property in that neighborhood is sold, the developer gets either a percent or gets a flat fee like a grand or 1200 or whatever. And so think about how messed up that is. Because the developer is building that neighborhood to make a profit selling those lots. And if they go a step beyond, they build the houses, they're making that money. So why should they be able to make money at both ends of the deal? No way should they be able to do that, right? Sort of like a dividend, huh? Yeah, And it's one that sneaks up on people. So in your case, homeowners associations have been saying, hey, if it works for a developer, we're going to do that too. And condominium associations have been doing it and on and on. Now, is this something they need to disclose? Well, it depends on what the disclosure laws are in a state or how a fee can be adopted in a state. At a price of $75, I would pay the $75 and just skedaddle. Yeah, that's what, from my research, I'm like, you know, some of them are up to $500. Well, again, 500 is lower than what I've been hearing. And some developers are trying to go to a system where as home prices rise, they get a percent, and that percent goes up every time home values do rise. Think how, how terrible that is, because they have been involved in who knows how many years in a neighborhood that they would be getting a cut of the action so i would consider yourself lucky and in something that's not right and not fair you're getting off on the cheap with a real estate transfer fee which these things not only are wrong they should be banned as a matter of course by state law this is norman lear with my great sidekick Paul Hip. Good to be here with you, Norman. On All of the Above. That's the name of my podcast, All of the Above. And uh, it's called All of the Above because we're going to talk about All of the Above. 
There isn't anything sacrosanct. There's nothing too above us or no, below or us. Or below us. Well, certainly nothing too below us. But we have had guests you cannot believe. Yeah. Guests. Julie Dewey Dreyfus, amazing. Yes. And America Ferrara. Jared Carmichael. Yes. Oh, Amy Poehler. How did we overlook? We didn't overlook Amy Poehler. I was saving her for last. And Charles Barkley, I was saving him for first, actually, because I didn't declare her first. I get to hang out with this guy. And this is your chance to hang out with Norman Lear a little bit here and some of these great guests. God, I wish I was you hanging out with Norman Lear. Yeah. <laughs> Son of a gun. See? That must be exciting. It's the yeah. best. He's, oh. I'm telling you. Don't miss all of the above with Norman Lear. Download new episodes every week on the Podcast One app or subscribe at podcastone.com. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where you're empowered with knowledge, so that you can take better control of your wallet. I want to talk about the size of your wallet in just a second. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com, that's where you find the deals, the bargains. It'll help you stretch every dollar. Coming up in a half hour, we got to talk. There's a new report that people have incredible billions of dollars sitting in savings accounts earning essentially zero percent what are you doing to yourself okay i didn't mean to say that in such a negative way we're going to talk about how to do something better with that in a half hour i want to talk right now about something that has been such a flashpoint and was part of the whole election cycle last night last year with the election of president trump And that is that so many Americans in the great middle of our country and income-wise feel like things are going in reverse. And guess what? There's new data from the Pew Charitable Trust, their research center, that says it's true. The middle class in the United States has actually shrunk over the last generation. And what's happened is that the number of people that are very wealthy in the United States has gone up roughly by a factor of 20% larger. People that are very wealthy in the United States now are... 15% of the population. That is a big number. You know, so much talk in prior years about the 1% and the the 0.1%, the very, very, very wealthiest of Americans. But what has not been talked about is that the number of people who make great amounts of money has grown to be 15% of the American people. The number of people that are poor in the United States has stayed pretty much the same over the last generation, one in four. But what has shrunk is as the number of people who are wealthy have gotten larger, the number in the middle class has gotten smaller. And so we have roughly 40% of the American people are either poor or rich, and 60% roughly are in the middle class. 
historically the number of wealthy people was quite a bit lower. And the number of people in the middle class, quite a bit larger. Number of people poor pretty much stays the same. But among the people in the middle class, there's been a lot of insecurity that we have not addressed as a country as jobs have become less stable, people can't count on their paycheck. It's hard to make a decision that involves spending real money or obligating yourself to something when you don't know if on Friday the boss is going to say, you're out of here. Employers rent us now. They don't hire us for a a working lifetime. And then with the shift in work and the skills and all that, it has gotten tougher, and that can't be sugar-coated. And technology, the change it brings, it's not going to be outlawed. So with the way things are splitting... Something that you may have heard from me all through the years, I'm even more convinced of, and that is that you and I have to forever embrace change, training, and education. You know, through my years, having done so many things, owned so many different kinds of businesses, the one thing that's always been clear to me is that people get to where they have blinders on. And what they do is what they do, and that's what they do. You can't be a racehorse with blinders on. you got to be someone who, instead of thinking like a racehorse, you got to think more like slow and steady wins the lifelong race. You know, there are many people across the political spectrum who all recognize the issues with income inequality in the United States. And people approach how to fix it always from their own built-in filters and biases. Everybody sees the problem, but everybody sees the solution a different way. And maybe I'm as out to lunch as other people. But I really do believe what I've said to you in different ways at different times over the years that if you want to get ahead, always taking advantage of every opportunity your employer offers for additional training, additional education, grab it, grab it. Because even if that employer is not going to use it, somebody else might, and it gives you that leg ahead. Ryan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Clark, how are you doing today? Great, thank you. You have a question for me that is an either-or. How does it play out? Yeah, so my, my, my question is, I'm 22 years old, I have my own business, uh, big saver, I listen to your show pretty much every day now, and 
you know, always trying to save. I don't, I don't go out. I don't drink. I don't spend money on, you know, unnecessary stuff. So I save as much as I possibly can. Uh, but I do have some old tax debt that I do have. And I just want to see right now I'm saving probably around 30% of my income uh, towards the house, paying off some old bills and stuff like that. But I want to see, should I use that savings uh, to pay off the tax and then start again? Yes. Start saving for, for a home? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because as long as you have that tax debt, you can't buy a home anyway. Gotcha. So that has to be the number one priority. Right. And how much do you owe taxing authorities? Uh, right now, it's, it's, I think it's around 4500 4, So I think it's 3000 for for one year and then 2000 for the other year. And how much do you have in the savings you've been building up? Uh, probably around 3500 Yeah, so I would use that money and wipe out as much of that as you can, and then as you can work off the rest, then you go back to saving for the house. Gotcha. Even okay. though the interest carry on the unpaid tax debt is not huge today, it's just not good to have a tax debt sitting out there if you have the you've got the means to pay off one whole year of that tax debt. Got you. And the money okay. you're you have in savings, you're earning at best one percent, right? Wait, say that one more time? The money you have in savings, you're earning maybe one percent on it? Yeah, if if that. And what you are paying the IRS is about is about six percent? I believe so, around there as well. Yeah, so even you look at it from that standpoint, you're much better off wiping out the high interest rate debt and being clear of the of the IRS. Gotcha. And then they have another quick question. If I, if I did move that, that savings into the, the tax bill and I still have some left over, should I figure out a payment plan, or do you think it would be, be better to get a small a small loan from a credit union, which I've been looking into, um, to do, you know, to get the IRS paid off first, and then do a small loan, build my credit even more. Well, no, with the, with the with the amount of debt that will remain, just do a payment plan. Okay, because you can pay it off at that point, and uh, that amount of money with how you're saving and all that, you should be able to pay it off in less than a year at that point, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, there should be. But I just want to see if it was if it's better to pay it right away. No, no. I'd say take your lump sum of cash, kill off as much of it as you can, and the rest just send them a check every month till you wipe it out in a matter of months, less than a year. Gotcha. And okay. then you're and in so much better shape financially moving forward. Gotcha. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of way over my head, so that, that makes a lot more sense. It makes things a little bit more clear, so I, that's perfect. Well, great, and I'm so glad that you are saving like you are because this will become a distant memory pretty quickly as you remove that tax debt from your life, and going forward as someone who lives on less than what you make, you're not going to have to worry about the IRS in the future either. True. Thank so, you, Clark. I really do appreciate it. Certainly. And Jan joins us. Hello, Jan. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show. Thank you, Clark. So, Jan, you're in a car lease, huh? I am, yes. We have an SUV, which we've leased, and um, this lease is up in about five months. So we're starting to look at our options and what makes the most sense at the end of this lease. You know, you know, we like the car. We've had no problems. 
But now we're just trying to really determine what is the best route to go, you know, buy it out since we know the buyout or possibly get a new lease. Oh, no, I I potentially like the idea of you buying it because you know the history. Mm -hmm. You know what you have to pay for it. The SUV, if you were to try to go buy a SUV used similar to yours, Mm -hmm. it might well cost more than what your residual buyout is in your lease. Right, yeah. The buyout is lower than what I've gone out and just sort of explored. So you did exactly what I suggested. Good for you. Yeah. So that that would be a really smart move to just buy it. Okay. Are you in a position that you can write a check for that, or are you going to have to go get a loan for that buyout? Um, I don't think we could write a check out right now. We've got a wedding this year, too. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I think we would be looking at um, getting a loan. All right. So 90 days out, Go. To, are you a member of a credit union yet? Mm, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then now, go ahead and join a credit union near you. Okay. Because they write by far the lowest cost loans on used vehicles. It's not even close. They're so much cheaper. And right. then 90 days out, go to the credit union about writing that loan on it and try to keep the term of that loan, because the age of the SUV, mm-hmm. at 36 months. Because okay. with a vehicle that is already three model years old, and by the time you'll do the transaction, it will be four model years old. Yeah. You don't want to take out too long a loan because then you're ending up, if you take out a four-year loan, you've got a loan at the end on an eight-year-old car. Right. So the shortest term you can live with is good, but the other reason is the credit union will give you a lower interest rate if you do a shorter-term loan on a used vehicle. Oh, okay. So uh, just go join the credit union. You can look on their website, see what they're quoting on used vehicle loans, and then just a couple of months out, say, hey, we're here. What kind of deal can we do? And then you'll be ready when the buyout time comes. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask mike is with us on the clark howard show hi mike well hey clark thanks for taking my call it is my pleasure mike how can i be of service to you well i'm looking at a new credit card or trying to and i have friends who are always fighting to pick up the check so they can get miles on their card and get cash from everyone but i see a lot of deals where people are advertising cash back now, wait, wait, purchase. you're getting 100% cash back right now. If your friends always want to pick up the check, it sounds like you've got no, the they, ultimate they, they cash. They want the money. They want the oh, money. They just, want, okay. they just want to get to pay the bill on the card. They still, they still want to get their money back. I see. See, I thought you were getting the ultimate deal. You're not. Okay. Well, and I'm just wondering if you have an opinion between the miles that you can get versus the cash back if yes. miles are hard to use or if they're a good deal and if they're if there's a company that offers better cash back policies oh yeah all- yeah you've got all the right questions here so let's look at them piece by piece what would you imagine your dollar charge volume would be per month not much now but if if i stood something to gain i'd use it a lot more 
And would that a lot more be five hundred a month, five thousand a month, a thousand? Uh, at, at most five hundred. All right. So the mileage cards really only work for people starting at about a charge volume of two thousand dollars a month or more because of how many points you have to accumulate before you can get a free ticket. It's not worth it. So in your case, a cashback card is the best because you're getting that cash right from the get-go. So there's a website I'd like you to go to called creditcardtuneup.com. Is that one long word? Yeah. It's all crammed together, creditcardtuneup.com. And you'll be able to filter for what kind of card you're looking for and what your likely charge volume is and where. And it will kick out for you what's going to be the best card for you. Okay, fantastic. And by the way, with these credit cards, any of these things, the math only works for you if you pay your balance in full every month. Uh, I try to do that. I try. Okay, try is over. (laughs) You're going to get one of these. Only do it if you can discipline yourself to only charge what you can pay that month in full. Because otherwise, it's a false gain. You'll end up spending a lot more in interest than what you'll earn back in the cash back. Okay, you're a human, which means you've done laundry some point in your life. And you know what a hassle it can be separating the laundry, preparing, doing multiple loads? It's not fun. Well, Home Depot might have a solution that makes it easy, really. They have the new Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry Washer and Dryer Pair. These innovative appliances are the first ever to allow you to wash two loads and dry two loads of laundry at the same time in the same machine. So when you do the laundry, you don't have to mix different colors and fabrics together and destroy your clothes. Flex Wash integrates a large capacity lower washer for everyday washes and then an additional washer for separate colors and delicates. And the Flex Dry integrates a large tumble dryer for everyday items and a flat dryer for your delicates. You wash one load, you dry one load, everything's done. And both the washer and dryer have a number of innovative features that make laundry super easy. Like the Flex Wash offers a steam wash option for removing stains and a self-clean to keep the water odor-free. And Flex Dry features multi-steam to steam away odors and wrinkles, while Sensor Dry optimizes drying temperatures to avoid damage to your clothes. It's technology you can really appreciate. And both are Wi-Fi connected, which allows you to set and start the machines and receive alerts when a load is finished. Together, the Flex Wash and Flex Dry offer the ultimate flexibility to provide the best possible care for your clothes. So get to Home Depot now and check them out. The Samsung Flex Wash and Flex Dry washer and dryer pair. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. want to mention, if you've missed any hour of our show this week or last week, check out our podcasts. They're free. You can see them at Clark.com or anywhere you like to download podcasts. And you got a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask. I got a question for you. Would you rather... Make money on your money or earn nothing on your money? When I ask it like that, I'm sure you're going to say, well, I want to make money on my money. 
But there's a new report out about how much money people are stashing in savings accounts with the giant monster megabanks. And people are putting billions and billions and billions of dollars collectively into savings. It was this just Bank of America alone had an increase of $33 billion into savings accounts in one year. That was the increase, according to the Wall Street Journal. And what does Bank of America pay on savings? Almost 0%. A hair above 0%. At the same time, you can, if you want to keep your account at your giant monster mega bank, you can link it to a savings account with one of the online banks. And you will earn uh, like 1.25, 1. 1.3, 1.20. I mean, not a huge amount of interest, but gosh, compared to zero, what's basically zero, that's a whole lot better, right? So to ask you to dump your giant monster mega bank, maybe you don't want to dump Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Chase or Citibank. Maybe you love them. Maybe you love all the branches and all that. But I can tell you they're not loving you back with what they're paying you on your savings. If you simply go to bankrate.com and click on savings, you'll see who's paying the most in the country. Now, they don't. I don't know if they have people that pay more to be listed early or what. They don't put them in the order of who's paying the highest rate. you got to move down a little bit. But you'll see a lot of really good deals in FDIC-insured bank accounts on your savings. And with most of them, you can link your account and have access to that savings on two days' notice, deposit into your checking account. Let's say you're doing a big purchase. But it's going to be six months from now. So you stash the cash in an online account, earn your one plus percent, and then bring the money back over when it's time for you to make the big purchase. And maybe along the way you'll learn how easy it is to use the online bank, and you'll decide to dump the giant monster for everything. Your choice, but at least... Don't let them take advantage of you on your savings. Sonia's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sonia. Hi. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm having a problem with the company. (laughs) What's going on? Okay. Well, about three weeks ago, I ordered customized sweatshirts from a company. Customized sweatshirts. Was this for a business that you were getting a logo put on them or something? Um, They're actually for a Greek letter organization. Okay. So you were ordering shirts with, uh, did you have camera ready artwork that you gave the sweatshirt company or t-shirt company? No, they're just going to apply the letters on. They're just going to sew the letters on the shirts that they had. (laughs) So where's the problem? The problem comes in about a week ago. They said it it was manufacturing and then they said it had shipped. 
And then I, there's been nothing. Uh, it's been over two weeks now since they said that it shipped, and it's not here. And Do you think I, they stole your money? <laughs> I, I, I don't think that they did, but I'm worried because I called them, and I was like, you said this shipped two weeks ago. You gave me a tracking number that doesn't lead anywhere. And they also gave me a tracking number for a different company than what I had paid for them to ship it as. And they just are like, it's in quality control. It's in quality control. What, is, what does it mean it's in QC? Were they saying that your shirts were not made right? Or are they saying wherever your shirts are, they're trying to chase them down? They're just saying that after they get manufactured, they, they go through quality control to assure that they're okay and how long is that supposed to take is that supposed to take a semester of college or (laughs) maybe i don't know they said that it's just been at most five days five business days in quality control but that would not explain why they were already giving you a tracking number for a carrier to deliver i think you're right to be suspicious that something's rotten here please tell me (laughs) please tell me that this for a sorority right it's actually a co-ed, but yeah. Okay. That Please tell me that if you were the person who ordered, whoever did, that the order was paid for with a credit card. It was. <gasps> Thank goodness. <laughs> and yeah. has it been less than two months? Yes, it has been. All right. Up to 60 days, you have a right with a credit card to dispute a charge for failure to deliver goods or services. Okay. And so they failed to deliver the goods. And what I recommend is that, uh, how many weeks has it been at this point? At this point, it's been three weeks total. Oh, oh okay. Then don't, don't, do, don't fret yet about the credit card. You can give them, let's say, another three weeks. Another three weeks? Yeah, just to make sure you get that dispute in by the 60th day. And at that okay. point, you're still only at 42 days. But okay. the main thing is you want to get the dispute in before the 60th day and writing with the credit card company. For the failure to deliver the goods. Okay. Now, the other thing is this company, they say that if you file a chargeback with your credit card company, that they said they'll charge you another $35. You mean the, well, who cares? You're not, I mean, if they don't deliver the merchandise, what are you supposed to do? I'm not sure. You're supposed to pay them for, for shirts you never get? No, that but would be right. That is the right you have, is to, and that's the advantage of using a credit card. So I wouldn't exercise your right yet. There's no advantage, no need to do it yet. But okay. as you go on week by week, I mean, maybe they will show up. But if they I don't... do, because I actually want the product. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's why if they do show up, everything's great. But if you get several more weeks out from now, you go ahead and do the dispute. Now, i got to ask you a question here that can be a curveball. Did you use an actual real credit card or did you use a fake credit card? You know what I mean when I say a fake credit card? Yeah. No, it's it's a real one. Okay, good. So you won't have to worry because if you use a fake credit card, you have none of these rights. Uh, Your money's just gone. (laughs) So you know not to use a check card. Oh, yeah, no. Great. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope you get your shirts, but you have full protection here. Okay. That's what I was just worried about. You are A-OK just fine. Anne's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ann. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You have a question for me about Chromebook. 
I do. I heard you talking about it. I was real enthused about it. And I was wondering how you would save on it or if you wanted to go on and surf the web and then save stuff and then transfer it to a Windows computer, could you do that? you know, transfer the articles or if that was possible. So the way a Chromebook works, you got to think of it completely differently. You almost have to think of it how things work on a cell phone. Okay. That you save things in the cloud. Oh, okay. And a Chromebook, a lot of the offers come with massive amounts of storage that Google provides for you for free in the cloud. So somewhere out in outer space, actually in a data center, your files are saved, and it's set up to be able to use Google Docs, which is a fantastic word processing program. Okay. It's available for free, and you can save whatever documents you want to save. You can save in a Google Drive that you get for free, and so you save the things there instead of on your own hard drive. So it means that not only on your Chromebook, but any device you're on, You can sign into your Google Drive account, and you have access to those documents instantly anywhere in the world on any device. So it's a very, very different way of thinking about it. In fact, let me tell you, the best explanation I heard is if you go back long ago when computers first became prominent, we had what were called mainframe computers. And any terminal you were working on was what was called a dumb terminal. And everything was processed and stored on the mainframe. If you fast forward to today, that's essentially what the Chromebooks are. But instead of storing in a a giant mainframe computer with a raised air-conditioned floor and all that, things are being stored up in these data centers that, in this case, Google has. And the Chromebooks are so cheap. Are you thinking 11-inch screen? 13-inch screen or 15-inch screen? I don't know. I haven't even gotten that far. I've just, you know, I heard you talking about it, and I was just, it just sounded real intriguing, and and I just thought, well, if you could surf the web that fast and then download it. So if you were on, if if it saved it in the cloud, could you then go on to your computer and sign into your account and then... There's all your stuff. and, And download it onto a computer if you wanted to? Now that I don't, I, I, I'm not technically adept to do that, but somebody uh-huh. who has some technical ability could easily do that to a Windows PC hard drive. Oh, okay. Or to okay. a MacBook computer hard drive. Because but, if it, but I'm kind of a techno idiot, which is funny. I answer so many questions and, oh. and get so excited about technology. So oh, I just yeah. leave my stuff stored in the cloud. But I, but you could, if you wanted to bring it down out of outer space and store it on your hard drive on your pc you could certainly make that happen well well clark let me say this you're you're, you're definitely not a techo whatever you call it a techo idiot techno idiot that's what <laughs> i am you're definitely not bad <laughs> well you're kind to say that and the chromebooks are all lightning fast they tend to go on the internet from when you open them up in four seconds and they just fly. The, as long as your internet connection is decent, they are the most efficient web surfing machine that has ever existed of any brand at any price. And they're cheap, too. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. 
our web address, Clark.com. When you got a question for me, go Clark.com slash ask. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you, David. You have a question that most people aren't comfortable asking for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to talk about uh, the high price of funeral expenses. Years ago, my dad passed away in 85. He had, he had cancer, and, and I remember going, he and I went to a uh, store where they had caskets, and then we selected a casket for him, and, and then we set up the funeral at the funeral home, and, and I just remember the, the prices being somewhat exorbitant. And uh, actually, looking back, it was kind of a surreal experience going with your dad to purchase a casket. Well, the uh, crazy thing is that funerals are actually more expensive today than they would have been many years ago because there are a small number of national chains that have gone through what are known as roll-ups, where they went around and bought up local family-owned funeral homes around the country. And normally, when you get size, prices go down. You know, It's always been a thing. National retailers may have lower prices, but they don't have the personal touch of a small locally-owned business. And the funeral business... It's a bad twofer. You both lose the personal touch with the big chains, and the prices are much higher than they are with a local family-owned funeral home. It's a business where finding a local one that says still family-owned and operated will get you a much lower price. But the big thing is to use, it's going to sound weird, but use group buying power to get a better deal on a funeral. And there are co-ops that are established all over the country where you join a local funeral co-op and the co-op goes out and negotiates and says, okay, we think we can provide you X number of cremations per year and these many traditional funerals with burial. What price will you give us? And by putting funeral homes into competition with each other, the co-ops tend to lower prices from a minimum around 50% cheaper to probably a maximum around 75% cheaper than wow. a traditional funeral. I'm, I'm talking big cuts in price. The funeral co-ops, you, you go online to... Yeah, I'll tell you how to find them. There's a clearinghouse website called funerals.org. And if you go to funerals.org, you'll be able to see what co-op might be near where you live. And then with the co-ops, you don't prepay for your funeral. You just join the co-op, which often will be like 25 or $50 for a lifetime membership. Oh, wow. And wow. so then that makes you eligible at the time of your death to be able to have your funeral done through the co-op. And the co-ops will usually be in mid-size and large cities around the country but some of them are are around a whole state it just depends on the co-op now my mother died in uh in 2006 and we uh went on a payment plan prior we, we knew that she was getting older and so we went on a payment plan and i, I believe we we paid monthly uh, for her her funeral and until we paid it off but uh well generally that- if you go through one of the co-ops the cost of a funeral will be so cheap that you won't need to do any kind of payment plan. Oh, wow. So do you belong to one of these? Yes, I do. I've belonged to one since the 70s. So I'm getting a lot out of my lifetime membership. I keep on living. 
So if you go to funerals.org, see if there's one close to you, see what their deal is. Some of them have flat rates that they publish like every year. They'll have their new rate. And others just have the arrangements where you get the special prices at a big discount from whatever list is at that time when you might need the services. The key, I don't know if I mentioned it, make sure your survivors that will be responsible for taking care of you at the time of your death, that they know you've joined a co-op and how they contact them. Because often people will pass away, haven't bothered to tell any family member, and they end up paying full retail price for something that they could have gotten at a big discount. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Here's an interesting fact for you. There are nearly one million new books published in the U.S. alone every year. One million. So if you like to read, how do you choose what you're going to read? Well, that's where Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews comes in. You see, Kirkus has been one of the top book review publications for over 80 years. They do a deep dive on thousands of titles every year, including interviewing best-selling authors and telling you what might be the hot new release before everyone else knows. So figure out what your next read is going to be. Download Fully Booked right now on the Podcast One app at Apple Podcasts or at PodcastOne.com.